Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 387. Today is October 1st, 2022. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Well, these are turbulent times in the market. I sold approximately 30% of my portfolio. I did it this week. I did it when the market was at a low point, which is something that I hate to do and it's something that I never recommend to do but I didn't do it out of panic. I did it because some key metrics that I track and what I call tripwires were triggered this week. And so I didn't sell because I'm in a panic because I think the world's coming to an end because I don't. But I did sell because I have to take my emotions out of it and I have to look at multiple factors. And this week, my tripwires were triggered. And so that vetoed and that overran the other models that I look at in terms of things like fundamentals. Now, I'm pressed for time, so I'm going to keep this episode short, or at least fairly short. I want to talk through my logic and some charts that I've put up over at investablewealth.com. In fact, I put up a chart, I think it was last weekend, that was entitled Trading Range Lower Boundaries. I said in that blog post that I would come back and talk about it in a podcast episode. Well, this is that episode. I never got around to it. The markets got way too crazy this week and didn't give me a chance to do an episode. And again, I'm pressed for time, so I'm not going to go into a lot of details about that chart. If, if you are kind of a chartist or a technical type person, a technical analysis person, take a look at that chart. And this is just a rudimentary representation of what I look at, right? It's just something I could throw up on my website. It's not how I nickel and dime trade the market but it does represent the factors that I'm looking at specifically from a charting and from a technical side of things. And remember, I don't only trade by charts or by technicals. Technical analysis is very important, but it's not an exact science. It doesn't predict the future. At best, it helps you represent the past in a way that you can try and make sense of the future. But that's it. The people that get into the Fibonacci numbers and the Elliott wave and whatever the latest, hottest technical algorithm are, or you just go down a rabbit hole where it's really no better than numerology or astrology because you can't use numbers or charts or anything else to predict the future. But again, it is a very important tool as long as you know its limitations. If you look at that chart, again, this is the one that says trading range lower boundaries. This is a chart that showed the markets previous to the turmoil that we had this week. And what it represents is what really technical analysis is all about, and it's the symmetry in the charts. And that symmetry is used by traders to set their upper and lower boundaries because they know how high and low the market's gone in the past, and then they make assumptions that the market's going to trade somewhere in the middle until it finally breaks out and goes on to new upper highs. Now, again, just very simply and very rudimentarily, look at that chart. The peak that's represented at the beginning of this year, there's a little dotted line vertically coming down from that peak. I think it's blue on the chart. It extends down to kind of a diagonal line that goes left and right. Those little blue dots coming down to that diagonal are exactly the same length as the little green dots, which extend vertically below that diagonal line. And if you'll notice where they fall on the chart, they come to exactly the S&P 500 low from last year, from uh, early part of 2021. Do you see the symmetry there? From the low of 2021 to the high of 2022, and then that diagonal line, it sort of goes between 
a head and shoulders pattern. That's definitely a modified extended head and shoulders pattern, perhaps a double top, depending on how you look at it. And again, that's the part where charting becomes an art and not a science, and everybody has an interpretation of it. But the important thing is to understand is to just look at that symmetry. And if you look to the right of that, you'll see that the bottom that we put in on June 16th, it falls almost precisely. It's not exact. Again, this is not exact science, but it falls almost precisely down to the lows from early 2021, which again, correspond to exactly that double the amount of those little dots from peak to trough. That's not accidental in terms of why the market bounced from there. And it's also not magical. It's just that a lot of traders look at this type symmetry, and when the market fell that low in June, they looked at all the other factors, the things I talk about, the things like fundamentals, you know, how's the market priced, what's corporate profits look like, what are the valuations, and they make all those assumptions. And then they look at this chart and they say, wow, we're just back to last year's lows, and it's that same symmetry that we're expecting. And then the traders and all the algorithms that are designed to trade at those levels execute the trade and you get a bounce and the market goes up. And what's really important about, again, on this chart where I have that big blue arrow, that was the peak that we got in August of this year. Now, I was looking for that rally to continue. Now, I didn't think it was going to the moon. I didn't think we're going on to all-time record highs, but I thought the market would stay at those upper levels for multiple reasons. And again, one of them though, is even a charting reason. If you look at the chart, I don't have a diagram down there, the distance from where I have that blue arrow, which is the August peak, to the June low is better than 50% of the distance from the peak in January to the bottom in June. And so in that recovery following the June low, we made up more than 50% of the decline. It's called a retracement. Now, statistically, based on historical movements in the market, whenever you get more than a 50% retracement like that, the rally is confirmed and it goes on and it almost never, and I said almost, right? That's why I always talk about things like highly likely. Well, it almost never goes back down to test that previous low. That's one of the reasons that I was confident that the rally would at least hold. But again, not the only one because charts and technical analysis don't predict the future. That was just reaffirming what I see when I look at valuations. Well, guess what? It didn't hold. And we went down to test and failed at that previous June level. That's what happened this week. And these are the factors that kicked off my trip line, which caused me to sell. And I sold, 30, like I said, approximately 30% of my portfolio. That's uh, in my overall model. It depended on my clients as to what positions they were in and the risk tolerance and a number of other factors as to how much I sold in individual accounts. But roughly... 30% and could be a little less in some clients, could be more than, you know, or around 50% for other clients. I want to emphasize here, I don't think we're about to fall off a financial cliff, which is going to take us to the next chart. Before I get to that one, though, I want to say this, you have to trade the market you're in. And so when I talk about tripwires and how I executed it this week to take some chips off the table... There are times when tripwires don't work. And this, again, is why I recommend for people, especially amateurs, not to use stop losses. Whenever you use a stop loss, the sale order gets triggered where you set the stop, but the order isn't guaranteed to get filled at that level unless it's a limit. The way a stop loss order works, and 
If you search that on investablewealth.com, stop locks orders, you should see an article I wrote, I don't know, maybe six years ago that showed that, you know, you could put a stop loss order in and you think you're going to sell it 20 bucks, but it executes at the next market order. And because all these algorithms also have similar stop losses in them, you may think you want to sell at 20, but the order gets filled at five. And then within 15 minutes, after all the algorithms are done selling, it bounces back up and it, you know, goes above your original 20 sell point. It's just that you got stuck selling at $5. So I personally don't use stop losses. And when I sold this week, I just didn't put in market orders. I looked at the range of what was trading at that particular time when I was ready to sell and I put in limits so that I didn't get stuck, especially on smaller stocks or stocks that have more volatility or less liquidity. I didn't want to put in an order, you know, when it was trading at $100 and because there's very little liquidity that day and everybody's panicking and everybody's selling, you know, it could drop down and sell at 70 bucks if you just put in a market order. So you have to be very careful. And again, that's a specific thing to how many stocks you're selling and what type of stock it is. But I just throw that out there for you to think about. Also, in relation to that, these tripwires that I set up and mine are mental or, you know, written down in my action plans. They don't always work, and I didn't sell during the big drop in March of 2020 during the pandemic crisis because my tripwires were immediately crashed through. I just didn't even have a time to get out. And so once those tripwires were breached, and specifically, and again, this is something I guess I didn't mention about that last chart, but you can go back and look at, there's a couple different red lines in there. One is a three-year moving average, and one is a four-year moving average. Well, right now, the market we're in, we've already breached and have fallen below the three-year moving average, but we're not yet below the four-year moving average. Again, that's a positive sign. When the market crashed that week in late March of 2020, essentially when the government came out with the black swan event shutting down things, which again is something I never thought would have happened. I was never concerned about the virus's impact on the overall economy. I knew we'd get through it. I assumed it would also be a buying opportunity, but I never expected the shutdown of non-essential businesses. When that came out, the market crashed and the S&P 500 broke hard below its four-year moving average. Well, at that point, all the trip wires are already triggered and I didn't think it was worth getting out because I thought everything was overblown, which history proved me right. That takes us to today where I did have a chance to sell some of my positions. And again, on the 30% that I sold... I didn't willy-nilly make the decision as to which stocks I would keep and which I would sell. And one of the things I've been tracking is the stocks in my portfolio and how they've been performing relative to each other and relative to the S&P 500. And specifically, I've been tracking them on how they recover and bounce from the most recent low. So what I did in terms of the stocks that I sold, I took all the stocks that I own, and I went back over the last 12 months, and there's been, I believe it's six fairly large dips that we've had in the market over the last 12 months. I looked at every bottom to the next top, right? Trough to peak. And I compared how that stock performed in relation to all the other stocks I own, and also how it compared to the S&P 500 in that recovery. Using that, and then also using the other things that I look at, you know, again, fundamentals, are the companies profitable? What sector are they in, et cetera. You know, but putting all that together is how I determined which ones to sell and which ones to keep. The rationale there 
is that the ones that are not bouncing off lows or, or are not bouncing as much are the weak links in the chain. And those are the ones that you want to get rid of. That way, if you move to cash and you miss a bounce, you still have your main dominant stocks, which are likely to perform better on those bounces. You're holding on to those. And even if you don't get back in with the cash, well, the money that you would have had in those other stocks, those are underperformers and they wouldn't have bounced as much anyways. And the real strategy here is, is that you don't stay in cash forever, but you take that 30% and use it to invest in newer stocks that are bouncing even better than the ones that you're holding. Okay, now on to the next chart, and this is one that I plan to get up. It will hopefully be up today. If it isn't, I'll have it up by tomorrow. And again, this is at investablewealth.com. If you're on my free distribution list, then you should be receiving copies of this in emails. But this new chart is called 2008 Financial Crisis Versus Today. This looks like a really scary chart. And all the gloom and doom people that want to scare you will use a chart like this. And in fact, they'll really skew it and make it out of proportion. You know, like those people that hold up a big rattlesnake at the end of a pole and they take a picture of it and it looks like the rattlesnake is 15 feet long and has a, a jaw that's 18 inches. Yeah, well, people do that with charts as well because you can always stretch or shrink the secondary axes just like you can get that weird camera angle that makes something look way out of proportion. So I always do my best not to do that. Now, if you look at that chart, though, we're comparing in the blue is 2008. That was the housing and the financial crisis. The market peaked in 2007. It eventually didn't crash until March of 2009. And the decline went on for about 350 stock market sessions. So it was a long, long decline. And that's really what I want to point out in terms of where we are right now. Yes, it looks very much like we're following that same path, but remember, we are still above the four-year moving average. And generally, whenever you have a recession or a bear market, the S&P will dip down around its four-year moving average. It may dip down just below it and bounce up. It may bounce just before it gets there. It may bounce right off the four-year moving average. But in general, a normal recession or a normal bear market is going to fluctuate somewhere around that four-year moving average. That's where we are. That's what I show in the previous chart. So yes, we're in a bear market. Yes, we're likely headed for a recession next year. But that recession, as long as it's a garden variety and not a steep recession, and maybe even if it's on a little bit of a fair end of the recession, and if you remember the things I've talked about in the past, there's a lot of problems going on all around the world, specifically in Europe right now, with an energy crisis and you see all the major inflation from energy and food prices. But remember, the United States, as bad as some people may think it is, from an economic standpoint, we remain a powerhouse. And we are always the best house, even if it's in a bad neighborhood. And so to the extent that the rest of the world is suffering with energy and food, and because of the war in Europe, you know, there's also a big need for military weapon systems, well, the United States economy is a dominant producer and exporter of those items. I'm not saying things won't get bad. I'm just saying if they do, there will be sectors of our economy which will continue to not only work, but will thrive. And again, based on the positions that I've held, it should be no secret that I kept things like my energy stock, my aerospace and defense stocks, etc. You have to remember there's always an opportunity. And right now, we are in a bear market, but we have not breached the catastrophic 
area at the four-year moving average. And even that, even if we went down to or below the four-year moving average, I wouldn't necessarily freak out. And that's what I'm trying to show in this chart. Because on there, I labeled in red the Lehman Brothers collapse. And that's what really caused the market to totally collapse. It went from being a run-of-the-mill type recession, bear market correction, to being an absolute catastrophe. It was at that point that it broke not only below its four-year moving average, but well below the four-year moving average. And again, what I want to illustrate here is that you notice that we're dipping down just like the dip before Lehman Brothers. Now, again, on that chart, we're not trying to do things to the penny here. And we know we're not predicting future with these charts, so we're just kind of using that rhyme of history. And you can see, though, that just as we dip down on our double bottom, oftentimes, and actually most times, a double bottom pattern is actually quite bullish. Because eventually the prices do get low enough where all the institutional investors come in and they buy that dip. And you can see that even in 2008, they did a double bottom, and that second bottom fell well below the first, but it was bouncing and it was recovering. It didn't fall back down below that double bottom until the Lehman Brothers crisis. That was the black swan event that no one could predict. Right now, I'm not overly concerned about where we are from a financial standpoint in terms of the U.S. stock market. The valuations that are priced in there have already priced in a recession. And as long as we don't get a black swan event, I think it's unlikely that we drop down into catastrophic levels like we did in 2008 or like we did in the dot-com bubble. And everybody talks about the dot-com bubble and everybody talks about the 2008 financial crisis because those were the big stock market crashes. And you know, over the last 22 years and even the decades before that, these were the worst that we've had. People are always predicting them. People are always fearful of them. People are always talking about them. But in a long, long time, there's really only been two of them. You forget all the other bear markets and all the other corrections because they just weren't this bad. And that's the point I'm trying to illustrate here. A bear market or a correction or a recession doesn't mean a catastrophic failure. The other thing I want you to note when you look at that chart is look at when Lehman Brothers collapsed. Look at that black swan event. The market dropped precipitously, but you still had time to get out. And in fact, it didn't hit a total bottom for another four or five months. Oh, it dropped quick, you know, pretty fast, but it never got to the total bottom. And there were bounces along the way over that, you know, four or five month period. So the point is, there are times when you can get out and there's also times when you can trade within those markets. Now, I wouldn't recommend you go out and try and catch a falling knife with your whole life savings. But there are opportunities, even when the market's going down, and specifically in the case of Lehman Brothers. If you had just sold the day of Lehman Brothers collapse or the day after or, you know, right in that range, you would have saved yourself from losing, I don't know, somewhere in excess of easily 30%, if not 40%. So the point of the matter is, bear markets and recessions are not unusual. They don't always lead to imminent collapse. It's usually some type of an additional black swan event that triggers these. And we could talk about the dot-com bubble too, because as bad as it was, do you realize the lows in the dot-com bubble extended well into like 2002? And the big black swan event that turned the dot-com bubble into a full-blown major crisis was the terrorist attacks of September 11th, 2001. 
So what we want to do is we want to watch out for black swan events, but the problem is the very nature, the reason we call them black swan events is you can't predict them. So you can't see it coming, but you can be the deer in the headlights and get out before the ultimate crash. Now, two final thoughts. Thought one. One way or another, we will get through this bear market and new stock leadership will emerge. The way things are shaping up right now, I don't think we're going to see a V-shaped recovery like we have in many of the recoveries in recent past. Now, that could happen because there is an unbelievable amount of cash on the sidelines. So I do expect bounces along the way, but not a total V-shaped recovery like we saw coming out of the pandemic. So the highs that we put in at the beginning of this year may remain the highs for a while, or things may only get a little bit higher than that going you know, out even maybe a couple years into the future. But what we will get is a range where there's a defined bottom and a defined top. And over my career, I will tell you, that is the second best opportunity to make money. The best opportunity to make money is to be in cash before the crash and just buy the dip and ride it all the way back up. Because that's easy. But you can actually make more money if you put in more effort by doing that swing trading and the intermittent trading between peak and trough. And so my strategy is going forward, and these are things that we used pre-2017, which are techniques that pretty much employ very tactical, very rapid swing trades that would be moving in and out of something like an ETF, a, a very focused either index or sector-based exchange-traded fund. That's what I'm making preparations for right now, and depending upon market conditions in the future, that's very likely what you're going to see me start to employ. Okay, the other final point I want to make, and this is about negativity, and specifically I want to speak to the younger people in the audience. Younger is a relative term to me. You know, anybody under 40 is very young. But to the younger people, I know everywhere you look, you see despair, you see negative headlines. The whole world is all black and white. It's all bad or all good. So we're in a very toxic, negative environment right now. But you know what? We've pretty much always been in a toxic, negative environment. We just didn't have the internet and social media and all the other things that echo and amplify it. I can remember all the way back to when Lyndon Johnson was president. Okay, so I can promise you over that more than half a century period, there's been a lot of times when there was a lot of gloom and doom. And if you let that negativity defeat you, you will be defeated. But if you use these setbacks as an opportunity to grow and advance, then that's exactly what you'll do. And you'll do it faster than everyone else because everyone else will be mired down in their own distress and self-pity. And I'm talking stock market, career, personal relationships, everything. You got to go through life with a positive attitude. The reason I'm where I'm at financially is because I had an optimistic attitude. Had I got discouraged and quit a decade ago, two decades ago, three decades ago, four decades ago, then I would have never gotten to be the John Pugliano that I am today. You have to keep fighting and you have to keep looking for opportunities. And let me tell you, the opportunities abound because the economy continues to grow and advance based on that technology. And again, it's always been this way. And we're in the cusp of so many of them breaking out. But even if you just look in the past, do you realize, in terms of bear markets and corrections, just looking back two years, a little more than two years, if you had bought at the absolute peak before the pandemic and you just held the S&P 500 and reinvested the dividends, then your portfolio would be up 17% from the peak, right? Not from predicting the exact bottom or getting into the middle, but the peak 
the January peak in 2020 before the pandemic hit, you would be up about 17%, and that's an annualized rate of about 6% a year. Looking back further, looking back to the major crisis of 2008, the housing and financial crisis, had you bought in the peak in 2017 and you just held that S&P 500 and reinvested the dividends, you'd have captured about an 8% annual rate. And over these ensuing 14 years, your portfolio would have grown by over 220%. Again, buying at the peak before the crisis. Same thing going all the way back to the dot-com bubble. You would have recouped over these many, many years about a 6% annual rate of return. That's holding and reinvesting the dividends. And that would have put you over 280% growth from the peak of the dot-com bubble. So yes, there's storm clouds. Yes, there's uncertainty. But the winners don't let that bother them. And the great part about being alive is that you get to choose. Do you want to be a loser or do you want to be a winner? That's it for now. I got a lot on my plate. I can't guarantee how many blog posts and podcasts I can get out, but I'm working my way through this bear market. And so until the next episode, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best returns.